Hello everybody, my name is Eugene Boyens and this is the Progressive Christian Podcast. Um, it's the maiden episode, the very first one, all things have to start somewhere. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about this, I am a little apprehensive, but uh, I, I, I really am excited um, about the potential uh, for this podcast. I think it's safe to say that in our world, um, we can do with with communities, with forums, with spaces where we can have real and honest conversations about the issues in the world, the questions we have, and just the things we're wrestling with. Um, and I hope that this podcast will, will be a safe space for you to process through some of, some of the questions and issues and struggles you're going through that you might know that you are not alone, that there are actually, there's an amazing tradition of people who have had honest and open conversations and, and asked difficult questions in the face of, of cultures that aren't always accepting of, of asking questions. So the, the Progressive Christian Podcast is about creating such a space, um, obviously geared more towards people who um, see themselves as Christian or perhaps live in Christian nations, um, or have questions about Christianity and and some of the I would say perceived issues that are quite obvious for for someone looking in on the church from the outside. Uh, but if you've been a part of church or Christianity for many years, I, I really believe that this is going to be helpful. It's going to be inspirational. It's gonna it's gonna validate some of the things that that you know in your gut um, are issues that are not being addressed. So in order for us to uh, create a bit of an interactive component to this podcast, I would absolutely love it if you could send in your comments and thoughts, uh, questions, whatever it may be, um, in one of two ways. The one, I think, simple way would be to use the Facebook page. Uh, so you can just search on Facebook, The Progressive Christian Podcast, and you should find it. Uh, or you can go to facebook.com forward slash tpcpod. So just basically an abbreviation for the Progressive Christian Podcast, TPC Pod. Um, the other way, which I think would be would be a lot nicer if you'd be willing to to do that, is if you send in your audio comments uh, to by, by by using an app called WhatsApp. And in South Africa, everybody is aware of it, uh, but you might not be aware of it if you're abroad. It's just called WhatsApp, and it's available on most smartphone platforms. Um, and then basically, you've got to send uh, a message to a, f a mobile number, to a phone number. So the number you can send the message to is uh, plus two seven. So that's the code in South Africa, plus two seven eight one four eight six seven double three five. It's plus two seven eight one four eight six seven double three five. And if you send your comments, I'd love to include it in a podcast. Um, if you don't want it included, then of course, uh, just let me know. So I'm going to jump right into the content of this this lesson. Obviously, with it being an introduction lesson, the very first one, uh, it would make sense to try and talk about progressive Christianity. What does it mean to be a progressive Christian um, as opposed to, you know, normal Christianity or whatever you would call it? And what I want to talk you through really is a, a, a compare and a contrast between progressive Christianity and orthodox Christianity. Um, now, I have to say that a lot of churches, before I actually jump into sort of trying to define what these things are, a lot of churches um, are part orthodox and part progressive. You know, I think well, there's a lot of churches that are just purely orthodox, but there are 
a number of churches that really have some progressive ideas and progressive ambitions. That's fantastic. Um, but they're also quite orthodox. Um, and then I think there are, you know, really exceptionally, um, there, there are very few far and in between churches that, that I would really label as truly progressive. So um, it's just to say that when I talk about orthodox or progressive, I'm not trying to say all churches are orthodox and we need something completely new. I'm actually saying progressive ideas are embedded in a lot of churches, um, but need to be focused on um, as we move forward. So by orthodox Christianity, what I mean is it is Christianity that aims to be true to the sound doctrines. Now, when I say sound doctrines, I'm putting them in air quotes, okay, and I'll explain why. To the sound doctrines that were passed on through the tradition and through the ages. It is, it, it, it is you know, it's all about uh, understanding what the tradition tells you, uh, you know, how to interpret scripture and the Bible and being true to those interpretations. Okay, we're going to dig into that obviously more um, as we go along. Um, Orthodox Christianity is very much about the return to a previous perfect state. So um, I find this a lot if you think about it. Are we moving towards and working towards a better future or are we trying to return to the past? And I think in many ways, orthodoxy is about returning to a previous perfect state. So, you know, think about Garden of Eden, which is phenomenal. I mean, you know, mankind spending time with God, there is uh, nothing in between them, nothing that separates them. There's perfect intimacy. There's no death. There's no suffering. Uh, there is harmony w between man, uh, the rest of creation and God. It's amazing, right? Um, but orthodoxy has a tendency to yearn back to that state. And I guess the question is, can we go back? You know, that's a philosophical question, and, and my conviction is I don't think we can. Um, a previous perfect state, another one would be, um, you know, ancient Israel under the rule of Solomon, for example, or uh, the early church is a previous perfect state. Now, uh, in progressive terms, we can learn from these things. We can go back and ask, well, what was the spirit that they operated in? What are the underlying principles we need to uh, employ in our context? But we can't really go back, whereas orthodoxy creates this idea that we, we just if you, if you remove anything from the previous, you know, from the past perfect state, you are degrading and, and deconstructing something that is has already been perfected. And the best you can do is to go back to that previous state. Um, the next point on orthodoxy that I just want to talk about for a moment is there is a massive emphasis on escaping from this world and I, again I put this world in air quotes because um, what is this world you know and then it's an escape from this world to go to heaven after you die so it's about life after death okay so in contrast progressive Christianity um, I would define progressive uh, a progressive Christian worldview as the following, and I just want to say this is not a limiting definition. Um, I'm sure you'll find better ones on the internet and you can come up with other ideas. This is just my way of thinking about it. Okay, I would define a progressive Christian worldview as one that sees human history and interprets scripture, the Bible, as a progression towards the ideal. It's a collaborative project in which humans are made the primary agent rather than a return to a past perfect state. So 
that to me is it in, in, in a nutshell really is progressive Christianity is about we as mankind, as humankind, as men and women, have been, have been given the awareness to, to actually see what's happened through history, to learn from it, and to build a future that is desirable and ideal. It, it, it isn't necessarily perfect. You know, it's not like we start with a blank slate and then rebuild it and then have no problems in the future. That's not the point. We have to build the worldview, the philosophy, the belief system and the values and the spirit so that this, the, the, the world we create is self-correcting. That whatever problems come up, we find solutions for because we take each other's hands and we work together. It is a progression towards a desirable future in which the responsibility is squarely on us because God has given us everything that we need to make it happen um, as opposed to escaping from our current reality and going to a different place. So there's a lot to talk about there and, and you know, that's the nice thing about a podcast. You can always have another episode. Um, but let me talk for a moment about uh, a couple of components and contrast orthodoxy with progressive Christianity. The first thing I want to want to talk about is the motivation uh, and the drive behind both orthodoxy and progressive Christianity. My perception is that orthodoxy, orthodoxy, the motivation behind it is often fear. You have to be careful. You, you, you're, you, the, the, the goal is to protect you from things. And in and of itself, you know, that's not a problem because there's a lot of things we, we should be fearful of and that can damage us and harm us. Uh, um, it's not, I don't think it's an ideal way to, to be the primary driver of how to create a belief system and a worldview, how to build our relationships and how to build a world. Um, I think that the motivation in orthodoxy is very much, um, you need to be careful of all these things, but trust me. Um, and that trust me usually comes from an authority figure that says to you, trust me, I, I will tell you what to believe and how to think, and then you will be safe. And I think that's a very dangerous thing. Um, the second word that comes up is control. So if we can, we can tell people what to believe and how to think, we can control them. And we can keep things nice and tidy, nice and neat. Well, how's that working for us? You know, uh, Not so great. I would suggest, uh, I think that there's, there is, there, there's a better way. So motivation when it comes to the progressive Christian worldview, um, I would like to think the ideal is, is that our motivation is out of love, out of grace, you know, love for people, uh, being gracious towards their faults and their flaws, their mistakes, and still believing in them and picking them up and being empowering. Um, I, I think the ideal motivation is a pursuit after truth. It's an ongoing journey. You know, it's like um, Jesus said in, in John, the spirit of truth will lead you into all truth. And it literally talks to the disciples, people who, spent, you know, people who spent three and a half years with Jesus and said, there's a lot that I want to tell you now, but you can't bear it at the moment. <laughs> you know, you can't bear it now. And then he says, but the spirit of truth, when he comes, will lead you into all truth. So it's, an, it's a long-term journey in which we need each other in the pursuit of truth. And I believe that one of the motivations behind progressive Christianity should be to face our fears, to face our internal demons and not be scared of them, but believe that God is on our side and he will help us to, to face whatever we need to face. So the motivation behind progressive Christianity 
is is about being gracious and generous gen, generous i'm sorry um, and to have the permission to test and to try and to fail to make mistakes to learn and to improve at the end of the day uh, that's all we can hope for is to say look um, this is how i see it and this is what i'm going to try and we're going to test it and be accountable to one another and say well this is the outcome is this what we wanted yes or no what's good what's bad and let's improve it rather than trying to be right if you try to be right i think you're going to struggle i think you're going to make all sorts of mistakes and you're going to try and justify your own mistakes so i think the motivation behind a progressive christianity as as we're framing it here is a lot more healthy Okay, then I want to talk about the method behind Orthodox Christianity versus Progressive Christianity. The way I see the method is, it's the methodology, it's the actual mechanism by which um, it operates. So the method for Orthodoxy that I see is teaching. So there are there, there's the clergy and the laity. The clergy is the pastor, the priest, who the scholar, the teacher, the smart person. Um, you know, and historically we understand the roots of this because very few people uh, before the printing press would have had access and would have had the ability to read, you know, so would have had access to scripture. So you have these educated uh, scholars, uh, the clergy, who then come and tell the laity, the lay people, the congregation, the community, how to think and what they should believe. And the response then by the people is submission obedience it is it is accepting what is being taught and and saying okay we submit to this worldview and we're going to you know obey the principles and try and live it out and i think the, the ultimate outcome you know if, if if a martian or an alien would come to earth and look at christianity and look at the church what would they say what would they see they'd see groups of people come into buildings um you know, make some noise, which they wouldn't understand. Um, give money, which would be an interesting phenomenon. I, I don't know if they would be able to relate to that. And they would go home. And this thing would repeat week in and week out. And effectively, for me, my perspective is that modern Christianity, Orthodox Christianity, is very much about building temples. It's about building buildings and the people come in and go out and there is some resource extraction that takes place that gets left in the temple and they go home and live their lives. And that really is the mechanism of what actually changes in the individual's lives and in society is is debatable. You know, it's a conversation we need to have. So I think the ideal then, which I'm saying is progressive Christianity, the method for progressive Christianity is in contrast to teaching its conversation. It is saying to someone, you know, this is what I'm seeing. This is what I'm struggling with. What do you think? And, you know, having this sort of mutual submission where we submit to one another, uh, we're honest to one another, we're vulnerable to one another with what we're thinking, what we're going through and the questions we have. And we challenge each other and we keep each other accountable uh, to do what is right, to do what is true, to do what is honest, what is good, what is healthy, what is constructive. So it's conversation versus teaching because uh, you are a participant. You are building this thing together. It's not about the actual buildings or the temple. It's about the people. And it's about what, what's changing in your life and in our societies. Um, 
Part of the method, I think, for progressive Christianity is integrity. I think that integrity is a massive driver because it's about your internal health. It's about there's something in my heart that I cannot stay quiet about. I have to ask this. I have to raise this issue because I'm seeing people getting hurt, people being burdened and oppressed. And for the sake of my own integrity, for my internal consistency, I have to air something and I have to talk about it. And that's a massive driver. Um, it's not about, it's less about obedience and it's more about integrity because obedience is not understanding, right? It's doing, doing something because you're told to do it without understanding why. And integrity is about, it's the why, it's the internal consistency, it's figuring it out inside and then letting the behavior flow from there. Um, part of the method as well on the progressive Christian side, I believe, is empowerment. It's giving the power and the authority to the people rather than um, getting the people to submit to a small ruling class. The next point for me is part of the method of progressive Christianity is building community and society. That is the outcome. The, the church is successful and effective when the community it is in is being changed. The, the way in which it's structured, if you go and look at the poorest in the community, those who are suffering the most, the sick, the marginalized, any community that is uh, labeled in any way, um, how are they being cared for? That, to me, is the fruit of progressive Christianity. Now, the last thing I want to say is a key component to progressive Christianity is the active seeking of truth. Truth for its accuracy, for its robustness, for its health. It is an ongoing journey in which we say we want to push deeper into truth. Now, if, if you think about this for a moment and ask yourself, am I constantly seeking? Am I pushing deeper into the reality of our universe and the reality of my own internal state and the reality of my relationships. Am I pushing into those things or am I pushing away and trying to distract myself and keep myself busy? That to me is a key question. If you're a progressive Christian, you have to have a commitment to seek after truth. Um, you know, there's a phrase in, in, in my country uh, that has been coming up the last couple of months that really bothered me and, and People standing up on social media and saying, I can't stay quiet about this. I have to stand up for what is right. And the causes that they are punting, I actually look at them and think, you know what? You're actually being selfish. These are issues that affect you and your community and your culture. It isn't actually about what is right and what is the just thing in our society. Uh, but what happens is we are so caught in tribal and social sort of dynamics that we can't see our blind spots and we don't realize that we're actually cutting off and then killing conversation rather than standing up for what is truth and right. So I, I don't have time to unpack this as much as I'd like, um, but if, if there's a, a YouTube video that I think is fantastic that I would really recommend you have a look at, it's uh, done by a channel called Practical Psychology. And the title of the video is 12 Cognitive Biases Explained, How to Think Better and More Logically Removing Bias. And what's incredible about this video is it goes through 12 ways in which we 
uh, ways we as humans filter out information and find information that validate what we already believe. Um, and so much of what happens in our society and in our world um, is explained. And the reason why we struggle so much to actually find the truth and get to the bottom of it and find agreement. If we identify these cognitive biases and remove them from ourselves, it would tear down the walls so that and the defense mechanism so that we can actually have a real and honest conversation and be able to, to find the truth. The bottom line is it's very easy to look at someone else and go, they really are nuts. They don't understand. They don't see the reality as I do. But when you flip the table and you actually realize that there are flaws and half-truths and lies in your own belief system, it's extremely difficult to face those things. So have a look at that. Um, I think it's a fantastic video, 12 Cognitive Biases Explained, um, and I'll put the, the post up on the Facebook page. All right, so the next section, I want to move from method, um, the actual mechanics of, of how Christianity progressive versus orthodox works to application. The application of orthodox Christianity is, is first and foremost, it seems like ultimately all that's really important is what happens in eternity. That is, you die, you go to heaven, and everything we do now has to be interpreted through that lens. Now, I mean, you know, it makes sense in the sense that eternity is a very, very long time. So our lifetimes now are, are actually infinitely worthless in comparison to eternity. And it only has worth and meaning if it does something for life after death and eternity, right? If that is true, um, I th actually think there's a lot of inconsistencies in the church because we're not being aggressive enough then about um, how our current lives receive meaning from this eternal worldview. Now, you may say, well, what are you suggesting then in terms of progressive Christianity because heaven is such a key component of our theology? Well, if you go and have a look at a scholar called N.T. Wright, um, he's very much an orthodox scholar. But the one aspect he's done so much work on is about interpreting the New Testament and asking questions about what is heaven and what is earth. Uh, sorry, heaven and hell. And what does the Bible talk about when it talks about life after death, about the resurrection, about a new creation, about a new heaven and earth, a new Jerusalem? All of this terminology is sort of wrapped up into what he speaks about and 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 his understanding of this, right? This is a leading orthodox uh, theologian and scholar. His understanding is that the new heaven and earth is here. It is our current reality that is being renewed and recreated into something new. It is uh, the reconciliation of our current reality that is brought into a new order and a new society. And so the world we live on, this is it. You know, in that mindset, there is no heaven that we're going to escape to. We have to take responsibility for where we are. Um, so there are a lot of implications there, and I don't think, you know, I want to unpack that too much. But what I want to ask you is this. Why don't you go and read some of the key passages in the Gospels, especially the words of Jesus, that pertain to heaven and hell. And go and look at the original Greek words. You know, if you, if you Google uh, the, King James versions, uh, the King James Version with Strong's numbering, 
then you can actually go and click on the word and go and see what the original Greek word was. And you go and look at the words heaven and paradise. You go and look at the concepts of resurrection, which come, which appears a lot more in the New Testament than heaven is ever spoken about. Um, and you go and look at wor words like hell, which there's various different words. And if you go and look at the context and what was actually being said, what does it actually mean? I'm not you know, telling you what to believe. I'm saying... Why don't you go and look at this yourself and try and give it fresh eyes and try and remove some of these biases of what you've been told in the past and actually allow scripture to tell you and inform you directly. So is eternity everything or could our current reality uh, have an importance? And the last thing I'll just say about this now is that when Jesus arrived on the scene, if you look at all the Gospels and you read the urgency that Jesus came with, he came with a message that said, the kingdom of God is near. The time has come. It has arrived. I'm preaching good news to the poor, to the oppressed, to the enslaved. These are people who are facing terrible circumstances now. And he constantly talks about the kingdom of God is like. And the, the, the term kingdom of heaven is used as a synonym for the kingdom of God. Basically, what does a society in a world look like where God is in charge and his principles uh, prevail? So if you look at the scriptures from that point of view and you ask yourself, what was Jesus trying to say to people? What was the message that needed to sink in? Was it you're going to burn in hell forever and you need to believe what I tell you to believe so that you can go to a better place? Or was there actually something else going on? Now, I'm not saying there isn't life after death. I think the, the Bible is clear that there is. But, but I'm just saying we have to be careful when orthodoxy, um, this is my next point, becomes pacifying. It tells people, don't worry about your current problems and sufferings. We're not, not, that's not going to change. You're always going to have these, this, this suffering and problems and pain. Just endure it. Uh, keep coming to church. Keep giving your money to church. Um, you know, and eventually you'll die and go to heaven. When in fact, that's not the gospel that the New Testament talks about. So, and this is an ongoing conversation. I don't mean to come across aggressively. My goal is to, to stir conversation and for us to have a, a real and honest conversation about what these things really mean. That's the point. So Orthodox Christianity to me is quite pacifying. It is about escapist theology where we escape our trials and tribulations so that we can ultimately uh, find hope in, in an eternity with God. Um, whereas progressive Christianity is about engaging people and facing the realities of our world and for us to come together and take hands and create a new, a new order. I see orthodox Christianity as extremely individualistic. It's about you coming to church, supporting church programs, giving your money, going home, and the rest is really your problem. Um, the, the biggest, I think, sort of lifestyle ask that Orthodox Christianity asks of people is what I would call a superficial holiness. So basically, don't swear, you know, don't drink too much, um, you know, don't, you know, hit people, um, you know, um, don't steal, don't abuse others. I mean, these are not bad things, right? I mean, it's pretty good advice, actually, but... Um, it's quite superficial. It's not about, you know, are you are you cheating someone in business? Are you paying fair wages, you know, to your workers? I mean, have you ever heard a sermon? I, I haven't heard a sermon on paying uh, fair wages or racism or war 
or non-violence. You know, I mean, these these things are maybe touched on, but it's not primary messages. It doesn't ask us, what is your internal state? Do you, are you living with a sense of integrity? Have you, you know, uh, certainly some of these things are touched on. I, I appreciate there are churches who do good work on this, but to what degree do we actually challenge people to transform themselves from the inside out and transform their relationships and transform how they engage in all of the arenas that they are in? You know, how does the Sunday sermon change how people wake up on a Monday morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, through the week, step into their worlds with energy and motivation, with a transformative vision of what needs to take place? So I think Orthodox Christianity doesn't do a good job there. Okay, that's my opinion. So progressive Christianity then is a is about community. It's about relationship. It's about having honest and vulnerable conversations with people, having people know your flaws and your weaknesses and your failings and still love you despite it. It's about belonging first and foremost and what you believe is secondary. It flows out of belonging. Um, Progressive Christianity is about whether we enable injustice through our unjust beliefs and passivity or whether we're confronting our inner self, facing our own demons and repenting. You know, I think I'd, I'd love to do just one episode on the word repentance, which, um, just to give it away, I mean, repentance has become a word that we associate with you, 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 you're committing sin, so you've got sinful behavior, you're doing something you shouldn't be doing, and then you repent, you stop doing it. And you say to God, please forgive me, I'm so sorry, I'm going to stop doing it. And then you do it again, and then you go, oh, okay, I've got to repent again. Whereas, in fact, the word repentance means to change your mind. And if you're going to do a Bible study about this again, I think it'll be a good good episode. You'll actually find that it's about it's about how you think. You know, think about the verse. I think it's Romans 12 verse 2. Do not conform to the culture around you without thinking, but be transformed through the renewing of your mind. It's a it's a change of mind or paradigm shift that is constantly taking place, and it has to do with encounters we have with God and with people that change us at the deepest part of our beings so that behavior that flows from that will be different. But the goal is not the behavior as such. The goal is the change of heart. It's about idolatry. It's about where you put your trust and your hope and your faith. So there's a lot we can talk about there. But progressive Christianity then is about this inward journey where I focus on the log that is on my eye and not the splinter that is in yours. And I wrestle with God and with myself to remove this log so that I can go into the world and I can spread the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, restraint, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, at the end of the day, the fruit of the Spirit is what we all want. We want someone else to come into our lives and give us love, to show us peace, to show us joy, to show us their restraint against us, to show kindness, to show goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And yet, we can't control other people. If we're going to wait for that to happen, we're going to wait forever. What we can do is, is we can work on ourselves and we can work to develop the fruit of the Spirit and to become the change we want to see in the world. 
I want to finish off my last section here is about relevance. Orthodox Christianity. How is Orthodox Christianity relevant in our world, in our society, for people facing whatever challenges they face? Well, I must be honest, I think that uh, the majority of people who are in Orthodoxy in the world today are born into Orthodoxy. The reason they're there is because they were born into a household where they were born into Orthodox Christianity. Now, you know, I, I, I haven't found the statistics on this, and it'd be interesting to go and have a look. And I may be wrong. Okay, I'm up for scrutiny there. But I truly believe from my experience, and certainly in my country, um, and having lived, lived abroad for three and a half years, what I've seen tells me that the majority of people who are in Orthodox Christianity actually grew up Orthodox Christians. And that's why they're there. That's not a very good testament to the relevance and the appeal of Orthodox Christianity, if that's the case. You know, um, I think the next reason a lot of people end up in Orthodox Christianity is when they're married into Orthodox Christianity. You know, if you as a teenager start attending a, a youth group um, and you meet someone nice who is extremely committed, uh, a strictly, extremely committed Orthodox Christian, the odds are you're probably going to become a committed Orthodox Christian. <laughs> um, and I think that there are other sort of social coercive reasons for people to become Orthodox Christians where it's in your economic interest. You know, there's job opportunities. There's just, you know, loneliness, trying to find a place where you can belong. Um, and I think there is, uh, to a degree, I think something that I've observed is what I just call the social club effect, which is, um, I know in, in my country and hometown and my culture, is predominantly Christian and actually church going to a fairly high degree. And in, in any town, there seems to be sort of the latest cool church, you know, that have only been around for a couple of years. They're probably building a building. There's one in my town now. Um, and they're doing really well. They're successful. People are flocking there. And it's sort of the, the cool church to be. It's the it church, you know. And if you're in that church, oh, yeah, okay, so you're in that new church, you know, and uh, everybody's got fresh clothes and there's new songs and these sorts of things. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, am I being, th that might be the most cynical thing you've ever heard, but, I mean, you, you be the judge. Evangelism in Orthodox Christianity is about telling people the truth, in air quotes, and getting them to submit to it. Okay, so let me contrast. The relevance of progressive Christianity, um, first and foremost, I, I, I want to just address sort of the evangelism and conversion thing. Progressive Christianity is not about converting people. It's not about getting people to take on your opinions. Progressive evangelism is about listening people into the kingdom. It's about listening to who they are, their stories, their challenges, and stirring faith that God has been for them all along. He's been with them. He's been on their side. That he loves them unconditionally. And that he has a bright future for them. You know, that to me is, is progressive evangelism. It's very simple. Do, you know, just listening to people and bearing whatever their struggles are. And saying to them, God loves you. I love you. I'm here for you. You know, that's all it is. You don't need to convince someone. You need to show someone. And when you show them, they will believe. So, what is the relevance then of progressive Christianity in our day and age? The first thing I want to say there is, 
the information age is a reality we have to face. Um, you know, I, we, we, the printing press was developed, what was it, 400 years ago, more or less. Um, before then, people didn't have mass access to written material. So that was like a nuclear bomb in our development as a human species and our awareness and our understanding of, of ourselves and society. But then information technology in the last age, I mean, has just been like, you know, a hydrogen bomb on top of a nuclear bomb because there's just been such an injection of information and exposure that is unprecedented in our history. And we take it for granted. You know, I, I grew up um, seeing technology develop. Um, you know, I, I can remember in, in high school listening to audio tapes that my dad gave me, which was still a relatively new technology. And then seeing the compact disc develop and seeing all of this sort of media disappearing to today where everything is being streamed over the Internet. Um, I didn't grow up with YouTube. My son now is six years old and he's, he thinks YouTube has always existed. Um, and so the opinions and the ideas and the information and the knowledge and the exposure that our kids and their descendants are going to get is completely unprecedented. We can no longer, therefore, tell people, believe what I tell you because I tell you to believe it. We have to teach our kids to develop a philosophy and a methodology for discerning what is reliable, what is true, what is good, what is wholesome. Uh, for themselves, you know, one of the things I will just say about this, you, see, you may say, well, how is that biblical? You know, have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus didn't write any of the books in the Bible? He didn't take the time to sit down and write a church manifesto or, you know, hey, guys, listen, these are the five things you really need to remember 2000 years from now. He didn't do it. And we don't have any record that anybody who wrote the New Testament did so on instruction by Jesus. In fact, we know that the, 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 the oldest books in the New Testament were written a couple of decades after the, the, the death and resurrection and, and ascendance of Jesus. So, you know, Jesus didn't say build a building. He didn't, you know, do any of those things. In fact, Jesus' primary way of communicating was to ask questions. What can I do for you? Being the main one. And, and to tell stories. He left the interpretation completely up. To the people, in fact, when, when the disciples would ask Jesus, what do you mean by this? He would get annoyed with them. Why, you know, sort of, why do I have to explain this? It's almost like he wanted the story to do its own work for it to be truly transformative in the hearts of, of the listeners. So we have this control mindset, and I don't think Jesus had it. I think that he had a very trusting mindset in which he would ignite a fire and he would let the fire burn. How are we going to help our kids to develop a philosophy that is about health, that is about setting them free and not loading all sorts of weights and fears and insecurities and concerns on top of their heads so that they walk around and they can't see the light of day? The second thing I want to say in terms of the relevance of progressive evangelism is you may know the term the Enlightenment. Um, Immanuel Kant wrote... An, an essay entitled What is Enlightenment? As in personal enlightenment. And he wrote this in 1784, right? And he said, Enlightenment is, and I quote, humankind's emergence from its self incurred immaturity, its lazy and cowardly submission to the dogmas and formulas of religious 
or political authority. Enlightenment's motto, he proclaimed, is dare to understand. And its foundational demand is freedom of thought and speech. Now we live in the Enlightenment age, and it is an age in which no question is off bounds, anything can be asked, anything can be talked about, anything can be researched, anything can be collaborated upon, and that is a great thing. Now you may say there's all sorts of dangers there, of course there is, but we as Christians have to step up and and take up this, this ethos, because I do believe it's biblical, to set our minds free, to set our kids free, to explore, to test, to try, and to come up with what is good and healthy at the end of the day. To understand the spirit of scripture, not the letter of the law. And to move in that spirit into this new age with confidence and security, with joy, with excitement, and with peace. Lastly, the relevance of progressive Christianity is that it addresses the big issues that humankind have always wrestled with, which is suffering. Massive, unbelievable, incomprehensible suffering. Loneliness. You know, you can find the person on the planet who is has the least amount of suffering, that is the best well-off, with the best privilege, with the best health care, the best house, the best whatever. And yet, loneliness is with them. The pursuit for meaning, the pursuit for making a difference for having a purpose that is connected into the mega narrative of history. Another issue, of course, is oppression. I mean, it's bad enough we have suffering from natural causes, but then we have oppression, which is people abusing people and creating unbelievable amounts of suffering unnecessarily. We have the questions of joy and peace, like I said, the fruit of the Spirit. How do you, despite your circumstances, find a peace that transcends all understanding? A joy that is an unending well. These are the main struggles, in my view, that humans have wrestled with for for eons. And progressive Christianity, I genuinely do believe, has the solutions. And we have the method to improve these solutions and make them truly rigorous and robust. At the end of the day, I believe progressive Christianity, what's at stake is whether we can create an absolutely just society, whether we can truly establish world peace, whether we can get rid of disease, suffering and pain of any kind, whether we can bring reconciliation to all our differences, whether we can be stewards or managers of creation and whether we can spread this gospel this good news of peace to all of creation that's its relevance so i think it's pretty relevant Um, i pray that this podcast that you and i can spend some time together that we can go on a journey together and that we can encourage one another into the truth everything that i have said in this podcast is a representation, a reflection of my current worldview. But my worldview isn't something that I want to stamp down on people. It is something that I offer up and say, there's my heart, poke at it. You know, Tell me how it needs to change. And I believe that you have the same ambition and motive. You want to be the best person you can be, 
And you want to hold the beliefs that is most healthy to you and everybody around you. I believe that together we can develop this. And I look forward to the journey with you. So do me a favor. Please like the Facebook page. Um, and you know, send me that voice notes or messages on WhatsApp. Um, and just the number again is plus two seven South Africa plus two seven eight one four eight six seven double three five. God bless. Take care.